Hi, everybody. This is a podcast where real doctors discuss fake medical emergencies. That means that unless you've got a leg for an arm and an arm for a leg, this podcast is not medical advice. If you need medical advice or medical care, please contact your doctor. Hi, everybody. I'm Jackson Bain. I'm Johnny Kolosinski. You might remember me from such podcasts as Law Talking Guy, a bad litigation podcast. This is, <laughs> hi, everybody, a bad medicine podcast. Every week we talk about what Hollywood gets right and wrong about medicine and how the body works. You can find this podcast online on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HiEverybodyMD or by going to www.HiEverybodyMD.com. Also, if you want to talk to us, give us ideas, give us feedback in general, you can call us at 530-DOCTOR. That's 530-D-O-C-T-O-R-B. The B stands for bargain because that's what we're going to talk about this week. Uh, we are actually talking about a very Dr. Nick heavy episode of The Simpsons, our namesake and our patron saint. Our patron saint? Our telephone number say? No, he is the patron saint mark? of this podcast, Dr. Nick Riviera. Uh, we are discussing uh, Homer's Triple Bypass, a season four episode, which is eleven. To the best of our recollection, uh, it's the most Doctor Nick heavy one. Yes, uh, and we are joined once again by Doctor Greg Winter. Hi, everybody! Hey, hey he got it this time. <laughs> that was a really bad. Uh, that was a great Doctor Nick. How are you doing? I I'm okay. I'm okay in the times of COVID. Yeah. Uh, we are once again recording semi-remotely because of everything being garbage. Yeah. <laughs> Jackson, I know why you chose this episode. Anyone who listens to this podcast knows why you chose this episode. But Jackson, why did you choose this episode? Because there's a lot of Dr. Nick. Um, also, we're our namesake is Hi Everybody, which is strongly implying that we really like The Simpsons. Heck, if you've looked at our logo, we use The Simpsons font. It feels like there's some copyright infringement. <laughs> a little bit. But, you know, I really like Dr. Nick. I think he's my he's my favorite character in The Simpsons. I have, like, a drawing behind me. I know this is an audio podcast, so it's great for me to describe what's around me. But of Dr. Nick holding a textbook. So I really like Dr. Nick. And this is a great episode to discuss how bad of a doctor he is. But yeah. also some fun medical stuff. Right. Uh, the most unrealistic aspect of this episode is the fact that this triple bypass only cost $30,000. $40,000. Sorry. One twenty nine ninety five. Uh Yeah, that's that's obviously fiction. Yeah. It is weird that even, what, when did this episode come out? We I feel like you guys do that type of research. I just show up to... <laughs> to 93. Um, but even then, they're, they're poking some pretty poignant fun at the American insurance and medical establishment. Yeah. In rewatching The Simpsons, I've been noticing, not a politics podcast, but noticing how much they poke fun at the overly aggressive cops in Springfield. <laughs> and it's like, oh, wow, that's a lot more poignant than it might have been in 1993, except for no, it was exactly as poignant in 1993. Yeah, exactly. That was, when, that was when the show Cops was on the air, when... When you could watch it at almost any time as you got as you got home from doing almost any activity, cops would be on. And I mean, it opens with a very aggressive montage of the cops, you know, running and tackling people. And it's like it's it's like they're doing a satire, but it's almost like they're doing an homage and a satire at the same time because it's it's exactly what the show looked like. Their theme song was Bad Cops. Right. <laughs> and it was just 
I, I laughed real hard because I haven't seen this episode in a long time. And just hearing how bad the cops in Springfield were just brought oh, joy yeah, to my heart. They always make fun of it. And it's also kind of interesting that the issues haven't changed. You know, the cops are being underfunded. They're being over-militarized. And they're using excessive force. And that was 20 years ago. Yeah. It, 20 years ago, it was an ep- the episode opened with the <laughs> cops banging down the wrong door. Exactly. What, clearly, they were looking for illegal, like, cow ranching, I think. And the cows were all yeah. next door. So it was, like, super obvious, it's, too. It's a lot easier to laugh at in cartoon form, though. Yeah. <laughs> Real life form, not as funny. Cartoon form, hilarious. In true Simpsons fashion, that was the segue into the main story, which had nothing to do with the whole main story at all. And it was Homer no. sitting in bed watching yep. bad cops. And then... It's as, on, at, on at any time of day. <laughs> yeah. Trying to, as he said, work through a turkey or work a turkey through his chest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think what they're depicting in as the show is opening, they're, they're predicting chest pain. But also, it's kind of this atypical chest pain, and I think that that's one of the things that patients can use to sort of explain to themselves, eh, this isn't really chest pain. It's like, I have indigestion, or I just have like a little bit of trouble breathing. It it doesn't really, you're not making it sound like a heart attack to yourself. Right, because a heart attack isn't always going to be a million knives stabbing you sharply in the chest, which is how he describes it. it Sometimes it is, but the most commonly... Described way as like an elephant sitting on your chest is the way I hear it. The other thing that that kind of brings up is the other differential. When I hear a million knives going through your chest, at least because I work with kids a lot, is heartburn. Because mm-hmm. heartburn is one of those common things that people think they're going to have a heart attack or are having a heart attack because it hurts so much. And I remembered I had a 30-year-old show up to my ER thinking that he had a heart attack, clutching his chest. I'm like, first off, sir, you are in the wrong hospital. You are too old for this place. <laughs> And second, what did you have for dinner? He goes, oh, nothing crazy, just some spicy chicken nuggets. I'm like, I have an idea of what you have, but we're going to do some tests really quickly. Sure enough, it was heartburn. And really bad heartburn really does feel like it's the big one. I don't mm-hmm. know if you've had bad heartburn before, but I have woken up in the middle of the night clutching my chest going, is this, is this it? I've, I've never had heartburn that bad. I you have. guys should slow down while you're eating. Sit up for a little while. Nope. Maybe not eat such spicy food. Nope. Yeah. I, I've, I've seen what Jackson eats, though, and this That's does true. not surprise me in That's the slightest. I mean, I like the spicy foods. Yeah. You like the spicy foods. You like the food eating competitions. I know what I eat. It's the proudest moment. One of the, mo- <laughs> one of the most proudest and horrible moments of my life was actually eating a pho eating competition. Sorry. Number one Asian Number two overall in San Diego. I mean, yeah. that was shameful. Spicy? No, but scalding hot. I burned my mouth real oh. bad and I felt It was real scalding sick. hot instant pho. Yeah. The noodles were not fully cooked. And I remember just going to town on the noodles and then just chugging the broth and then winning. Thanks, med school. <laughs> Did I tell you my idea for a pho restaurant where everyone lines up and they do their ingredients one at a time called pho Q? <laughs> <laughs> terrible <laughs> that was really bad that I'm was sorry. horrendous so greg you've seen a lot of adults how do they <laughs> present with heart attacks um you know i haven't seen a lot of adults present with heart i i see a lot of adults after heart attacks okay i, I actually think the show did a good job showing the various ways that someone could present with that chest pain feeling and i remember specifically in med school learned like a long unit talking about referred pain and it's interesting because when, you know, when your organs are damaged, your body does feel that. 
um, but we have no frame of reference for it, right? You know, you fall and, and skin your elbow, everybody knows what that feels like, but when your heart muscle is stressed out or if there's pain in your lungs, it's really hard to tell exactly what's going on. And often your body interprets that as something that's close to that particular organ. And so often people will talk about... Um, shoulder pain? Yes, shoulder pain. That's what it is. Talk about left shoulder pain. But um, that's referred pain, right? It, it has to do with the nerve endings that are near your heart muscle and are kind of supplied by those same that same area of the body. And so your body just interprets it in this funny way. We have shooting pain down your down your um, left arm. You can sometimes feel chest tightness too, and you can feel shortness of breath. But I think that the show does a good job of really trying to to kind of show these various things and how easily, you know, Homer can interpret it however he wants to, depending on the situation. Yeah. They mm-hmm. also show, you know, whenever he's he's stressed out, anything that puts stress on the heart will will increase the demand for oxygen in the heart. Your heart is a muscle, and that's the whole thing of what a heart attack is. Your heart, uh, a heart attack is your body not being able to supply the heart with the needed amount of oxygen. It's a stroke for your heart, right? It, yeah. And, okay. And that is what you're seeing whenever they do the little window cutaway with Homer is you see that heart getting stressed out and then suddenly it's not working <laughs> anymore. That's a little, it's a little over dramatized, but I think they do a good cartoonic representation of, of what's happening. What's actually happening is there's an area of your heart that suddenly isn't getting oxygen and that area of muscle dies. Uh, and that's what a real heart attack is. Oh, actually, you know what I thought was interesting was this was maybe the most anatomical version of a heart we've seen is is in the initial cutaway when they're showing it before they're showing the kind of cartoonish bouncing around. Uh, the heart kind of looks like a, a semi pointed blob of muscle tissue that has a little bit of muscle on the top. I mean, they do a good job. Yeah, I think it's a good job. It blub blubbed. <laughs> it blub blubbed. That's what the heart sounds like. It's blub blub. However, if you your heart is too loud and a car mechanic can hear it, frowned upon. That's a sign. <laughs> very, very proud. If you can hear your heart sounds outside of your body, that's a meaningful thing. Um, when we when we listen to when we listen to patients, we use that to as a way to describe the intensity of a murmur. So there's very specific ways that your heart sounds. As Jackson was going, he was going blub blub. That's it's kind of like this very patterned rhythm. Um, when people's heart starts to not sound like that, we, we describe their heart sounds in specific ways. If it sounds like it's galloping or if it's racing, if there's extra heart sounds where like if there's whooshing in it. And actually, if you look on Wikipedia or if you just kind of search for heart murmurs, you can, I mean, you can hear really good examples and they'll even show you with diagrams of kind of the blood flow in the heart. But so we, we describe the heart sounds like that. But if someone's heart, if you can hear that murmur outside of the body without using a stethoscope, that means that things are really bad. It's six out of six, which is like six is the worst yeah. possible. So we always joke, if you can hear when you walk in the room, their heart is messed up. Okay. I have some patients like that. And I mean, they're very end stage patients. And it's, you can kind of hear the whooshing sound if you get close to their chest. Yeah. It's and, pretty intense. And the way I teach residents, at least how to hear uh, heart murmurs is I make them hold their stethoscope in their hand and tap it out on their hand like this. And they can actually hear everything really well too. So that's actually one way we practice rhythms if they can't find a patient to hear it. Because sometimes kids' hearts are too fast to hear anything. And it just sounds like whoosh, whoosh, whoosh. No. Sounds like beep, beep, beep. Okay. <laughs> is it is it worthwhile to give a little behind the sausage being made because I'm on call? And so we have to keep stopping every time I get a phone call, which means that our conversation will likely be a bit disjointed. 
Yeah, we can. We'll absolutely have just included that in the podcast just now. <laughs> I mean, I could talk about it again in a more natural manner. I, nah, I don't no, think I could. I think I think we need to include why this podcast is going off the rails quickly, more yeah. so than normal. It's I think the third time that we said, "What are we talking about?" <laughs> um, yeah, so I I take some of my work from home with a telephone, and because I'm not irresponsible, I I am choosing to answer those phone calls as they come in as opposed to do it later because sometimes we go off the rails and talk for a long time yep <laughs> i think the next scene though was homer actually going to hibbert's office oh no sorry burns's office burns's office and we talked a little bit about seeing seeing the heart greg yep. talked about that it was a pretty realistic depict physical depiction of the heart yes yes was it as real what was the other most realistic one that i talked to i think that was crank two was mm-hmm. it crank two? Crank two was great until, except for it was four times too large. Yes. <laughs> <So> <laughs> I'm just preparing for the questions at the end. Yeah. I mean, I will say the heart looked pretty pretty realistic. It kind of, I mean, I like the comedic effect when uh, Burns said something he didn't understand and the heart was leaning towards the camera to try to listen mm-hmm. to what it was. <laughs> like, what? What? <laughs> it means you're stupid. Boom. Heart, like, bounces around the whole chest and kind of yeah. goes nuts. And I assume your heart is not that mobile. You know, so here's the thing. If there's really bad valves, maybe. So if you have a dismobile heart, like secondary to trauma, you can actually have weird wall motion that can affect Mm -hmm. your heart. Not like in a heart attack situation, but if you do have a abnormally squeezing heart, you can actually see that on ultrasound. And we were doing that on a patient last night where we did an ultrasound on their heart to see what kind of squeeze it had. And if you've been down for a while or you actually took a pretty good blunt trauma to the chest, you can actually see some wall motion dysfunction. And it's really weird. And the valves don't move correctly and whatnot. I mean, obviously, we didn't look at valves on this picture, but it's one thing we'll we'll notice, but it's not going to jump around the chest like that. Is there that much empty space around the heart? No. No. <laughs> if there is, if there is space, it's usually fluid. There, there actually is empty space around the heart. Your heart is covered by the pericardium, right? And so basically, you have kind of this double wall around your heart, but it's laying directly against it. It's not mm-hmm. like... It's a sack around the yes. heart. Basically, which is where we get the octopus trap heart that we've discussed before the, is with that sack. The Takasuba. It, yeah, it's like closer to like the arteries and or sorry, the ventricles. Yeah, that's and different. Yeah, <laughs> that's, okay. that's a different thing. I don't remember from medical school. <laughs> the broken, broken heart syndrome. Yeah, that's a totally different mechanism. Usually if you have fluid in the pericardium, that means you took some kind of trauma. But I mean, that, okay. that also brings us to the point of almost the way our bodies are made it's not just like something some organ gets created it's like it's it's kind of tubes bending into tubes that sort of that continue to specialize into other things and so they're always kind of covered with a coating so your lungs are covered with stuff your liver is covered with everything has a coating around it basically like gel caps yes i was gonna say m&ms but sure Well, it's not a hard candy shell. Fair. It's a softer candy shell. Fine. Not yet, shell. but after a few more million years of evolution, we might be delicious. <laughs> uh, but yeah, he he dropped dead. He, he did drop dead and returned for ham. I think <laughs> the funniest part of the episode for me was the... the uh, the slow pan through the emergency room. Oh, and yeah. Just kind of seeing it kind of gives a one of the few glimpses into the other lives of Springfieldians. We had to pause it yeah. and go patient by patient. And Greg wrote them all down. Yeah. So um, Willie, the janitor, has got both of his arms stuck in what looks like a temporary 
plaster cast situation. We were debating whether or not it was um, ace bandages. I think it's a cast. I say it's ace bandages only because it was wrapped around and they had the little brackets on them. Right, but you would never put that many brackets on it. I mean, that's a that's a real use, poor job. Unless you use five rolls. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm just saying. Um, then we had Jasper's beard was stuck in a bike, which that would be... That would hurt. So that's on brand for Jasper because in a later episode, I think when Jasper takes over as a substitute teacher, he gets his beard gets stuck his in the pencil sharpener. The pencil sharpener. Mm-hmm. Yep. And he keeps he keeps cranking it. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Um, then there's the guy from the the sushi place, the assistant chef from the sushi place who has his hand stuck in a board. <laughs> yeah, halfway, he like karate chopped halfway through a board. Physically impossible. Oh, there's one I missed. Oh, no. Then it goes to Mel. Sideshow Mel? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sideshow Mel's stuck in the ca- in the cannon, and he knows for sure that when they fire the cannon, he's still going to be stuck in there. <laughs> and then it goes to Chief Wiggum, who who has Lockjaw trying to eat a big sandwich. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like he dislocated his jaw. Yeah. And that is a not fun situation. And usually, they don't keep their mouths that wide open when <laughs> they get a dislocated jaw. As a guy who's reduced a few of those jaws. And I bet there's plenty of people who have, who have popped their jaw. If you open your jaw too wide, you can pop it out of socket, and it's pretty painful. Yeah. Wait, so the term for fixing that is reducing the jaw? Yes. So you reduce this dislocation. Um, I've done this a few times. Uh, you can either do it two ways. You can, one, have them try to bite down on, like, a syringe and roll it in their mouth. Oh, that would, I could feel the. <laughs> yeah. So if they bite on a syringe and roll it, Sometimes that motion will pop it back in. The other thing is I pull down on your jaw and push it and then try to pop it back ah. into place. I try not to do like that one. Evil Dead style? Kind of, yeah. I try not to do that one if I can just do the syringe one because once I snap it back into the place, sometimes they bite real hard. Yeah. And I like to keep my thumb. Yeah. <laughs> but that's actually a very common ER complaint is people dislocating their jaws after trying to eat something big or sometimes just trauma is a big i mean the most common reason why. one of the things that i i remember you know you no matter what specialty that you are in medicine there are a few sort of things you learn one is how to uh, reduce milkmaid's elbow nursemaids nurse milkmaids wow (laughs) nursemaid's elbow yeah that's when you when you yank up on a kid's arm uh, and you pull their what is it the radius out of place it's the radial head the radial head it's a radial head subluxation uh, so that's one of those things that everyone kind of remembers how to fix. The other one is a shoulder dislocation. Oh, and and I'm wondering, like, with the shoulder dislocation, sometimes you just kind of do it in a surprise way. So I imagine you don't ever try to fix lockjaw in a, in a surprise way. So with shoulder dislocations, there's, like, hundreds of ways to reduce yeah. it. It depends how long it's been out for. And those can be the most frustrating relocations. Um, or reductions in general because if they've been out for a long time their muscles get so tight you can't pop it back in so one way i'll do is like i'll shake their hand while pulling while leaning back while holding their hand just shaking their hand for about like 15 minutes and then slowly the the, the classic trump handshake yes except way stronger but then i'll rotate their arm loosen up those muscles and eventually once i get their arm above their head i can feel a clunk and it just pops back in or i wrap a bed sheet around their torso and then give them some medicine, and they have someone hold that bed sheet, and I yank on their arm until it goes back in. Yeah, that's like we do a lot of orthopedic reductions in the emergency department. Super satisfying when you get them, though. But the jaw one, that one's tough at times because they can't really talk or explain what's going on. As long as they're controlling their airway and you can actually get time to reduce their jaw, it's not too bad. But it can get annoying. Do you do imaging for that? 
it depends on the like mechanism. Like if it's a spontaneous kind of um, dislocation or I'm not worried about a jaw fracture, then I won't. But if there is like they got punched in the face and their jaw popped out, that makes then sense. I probably would do like a CT scan or an x-ray of their mandible. Does the jaw have the same problem as the shoulder where if it's been too long, you're going to have problems doing it or no, because it's smaller, weaker no, muscles? No, it's still like can be pretty tight. And sometimes you need to give them some benzos to help loosen up those muscles so that you can pop that baby back in place. Johnny, the first time you said, if it's been a long time and I was going to make a Timberland joke. I too was going <laughs> to make the same joke. I love that scene. That that scene basically is a good cross section of shenanigans that can show up to the ER on a Friday night. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Oh, that no, there is one that's missing because it um a poo got shot. Oh, that's right. A poo got shot. <laughs> I knew I I knew I didn't write one down. In I left neck, a blank spot. In the neck. And also he looks like he's fine with it. It looks like it's not the first time that he's been it, shot. It definitely is not. He's mentioned that <laughs> many times. Yeah. A poo's been shot way too many times. Um I I will say that this falls prey to the classic Hollywood uh, heart rhythm strip conundrum. Yes, <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could do an acronym for that right now, but I can't. Um, but it shows that Homer is flatlined. HSRC, no HRSC. <laughs> it shows that Homer is flatlined, and uh, and then they shock him, and his heart starts. And that is that is a very classic thing that happens all the time in Hollywood. I bet it also occasionally happens in real life, but in truth. As I was so, so, um, I was embarrassed so badly in med school when I, when I was very adamant about how, oh, well, yeah, you can shock someone in the flatline rhythm. And actually, no, you shock someone when they have uh, atrial fibrillation or um, atrial flutter. Those are, there are shockable rhythms and flatline is not a shockable rhythm. Flatline means that you are dead. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really uncommon for a patient to ask for more. Yes. <laughs> uh, so this the only time that I was involved in a code in the ICU, I was a family medicine resident. Um, the patient that I had seen was a younger guy. I don't remember exactly why he was in there, but he, I, I think maybe he had overdosed because he was pretty young. He was in his, like, in his late, uh, late, early 20s. And go to the ICU, and it's very rare that those patients are, are able to speak with you and, mm. and interact with you. And so... After you go and see your patients in the morning, then you go around with your team and our team comes to my patient's room. And I was like, he's looking good. He's got good urine output. I spoke with him. And as, as we are talking outside of his room, his monitor starts going off and it starts giving the code blue emergency, like the automatic, like everything is going wrong. So, so we go in his room, we start doing chest compressions. We are running a code. The guy is out completely. And then in the middle of it, He's getting chest compressions and he opens his eyes and gives a thumbs up. And the, <laughs> like we continued doing the code until there was a, I think they did a femoral line and some other stuff, but like everything calmed down. But that was the middle of a code, somebody yep. getting chest compressions and he like just woke up. I mean, and I think that has something to do with being a young person with a good, strong heart. Well, you're perfusing his brain. Right. So <laughs> that's really the big reason why he does it. Um, so we'll actually have situations where patients are having really low heart rates, not perfusing their brains well, and then kind of go unresponsive. And then you're doing CPR. They wake up like, get off my chest. Like, stop it kind of situation. Because you're actually getting blood to the brain. But the minute you stop compressions, dead. Well, I mean, he was. I mean, it was very weird because he was like, ah. I'm okay. You can't. I'm, we're doing this by video, and I'm, I'm picturing Charlie from uh, 
from Always, Always Sunny, Sunny as this guy. I, I imagine that this is probably the moment where I decided, eh, maybe, maybe really sick living patients aren't for me. For me. Maybe <laughs> I'll go into hospice. <laughs> but that is not an uncommon thing where you're doing CPR on a dead person and they kind of start yelling. And then you stop CPR to check for pulses, and then they just tank again, and you're doing CPR again, and they're kind of mad. So you kind of need to do some sedation at that point to help do stuff. But it's a scary, crazy thing, for sure. It, uh, was, it was very embarrassing to say, we're going to transfer this guy out of the ICU today, and then he, he decides to die in front of everyone. He didn't die. He was fine. He eventually got out of the hospital. Well, of course he was fine. He gave you a thumbs up. <laughs> hey, was- you didn't discharge him. You just wanted to transfer him out of the ICU. That's true. That's very, very different. True. He can totally go back up. That's just the continuum of medical care. But Homer, however, got shocked, woke up, and then was weak as a little kitten. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which I feel like that is true. Yeah, he 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 had the "What doesn't kill me makes you." Str-. His quote was, "Well, what doesn't kill me makes me stronger." From the right? school of and Kelly Clarkson. Then, yes. Uh, <laughs> little Kelly Clarkson. And uh, then Dr. Hibbert went and basically just teased him like you teased a kitten. Right. And I don't think it's that um, I don't think it's that pronounced, but people certainly don't realize how weak they are. And often people get into trouble, especially sort of the late 40s man who has a heart attack, who, you know, then kind of wakes up after all the interventions. And it's like, no, Doc, I'm strong. They get up. They want to like show you that they can run and do push ups and all this stuff. And all they're really doing is stressing out their heart, which has a mm-hmm. section of dead heart tissue in it. And so that can actually rupture. People can have further complications after you're sort of out of the the scary part, yeah. right? the, out of the real real painful part. That's part of the next step in 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 recovery after a heart attack is, is you do cardiac rehab. And that's kind of this slow, this slow training of putting some more, more and more stress on your heart to work out that muscle again to kind of get it hopefully into better shape than it was and to help you to establish some better habits. I mean, the, the whole thing about a, a heart attack in general is you, you have an overworked muscle that, that isn't ready for a significant stressor or endurance test, and then you give it a little bit more than it, than it can handle, and all of a sudden you have some dead heart tissue. And if that, when that dead heart tissue is dead, that dead heart tissue is just dead, dead, right? It does, it does not, not come back. It's the same thing with, with the stroke in your brain. If, if the tissue dies, it's dead. The only organ that can kind of repair is your liver. So Your liver is pretty good at repairing. Yeah, but every, everything else, if, if part of it is dead or the, the medical term is infarcted, that just means dead tissue, basically, um, that it doesn't come back. Yeah. Bummer. <laughs> <laughs> But you can there there are ways to sort of do workarounds, and that's what a what a cabbage is a coronary artery bypass graft. You you can see an area that's not getting proper blood flow, and so you know that oh man, if that area gets stressed, it will die. And so you you basically connect different tubing to avoid that area and and give yourself a secondary blood flow. Now, that's, have you have you diagnosed this with radioactivity? <laughs> no, no. And I think that was like, I've never. I mean, a perfusion scan is a real thing, but yes. you wouldn't. I, it's not the primary test you would do. Like an echo maybe or an EKG really well, would give you more information. But even, I'm actually, no, I think it's, I, I, I think it's right. But I think it's, they're using it in a very, like when they're using those radioactive dyes to see stuff, to see the blood flow, 
they are they have a needle injecting right at the area they want to see. So they have an idea. So when they do the EKG, that's when they put the mm-hmm. little pads on you, and then they can see the electrical activity through your through your heart. That gives you a very very good idea of what vessels are are perhaps being affected when your heart is stressed out. So when someone is going in for an evaluation of all this stuff, they can then use a radioactive dye to really see kind of how much occlusion is in a very particular a very particular artery and and the the Simpsons is using that to comedic effect. You don't use that. I mean, it's radio. It is actually radioactive. You don't want to put that everywhere. You're also not supposed to put that patient next to other patients because <laughs> right. they are legitimately radioactive. Uh, and the key with all of that is to use as little of the dye for as short a time as possible. Just, I mean, also anytime you're getting imaging, you want to use as little of the imaging for as little time as possible. So all in all, this is pretty accurate episode. It's, it's getting there, except for the fat test. <laughs> right. I really giggled hard at the fat test, which is, this is not the first time they've made fun of how fat he is with jiggling. No, like, but it might, this and the X-Files episode might be the two best moments. Yes. So like this one, Dr. Hibbert says he create. there's like a new way Wait, to Dr. measure. Dr. Hibbert's in the X-Files? No, but, <laughs> no, but this one, yes. Dr. Hibbert flicks his fat and watches how long it takes to stop blubber flubbing, I guess, mm-hmm. to go around. That blubber flying. Yeah. But the X-Files made him run on a treadmill to watch the fat going around. And then it was just, what does this prove? Nothing. I just think he, think he can do some exercise. And it says, it's almost hypnotic. Yes. Yes. Like a lava lamp. <laughs> Two times where they talked about how fat he is just based on wiggle. Not an accurate way of telling how fat a person is. Especially if they're really chunky and the skin is very tight underneath. It does not flub very well. If your belly flubs, that means you have ascites and that's another issue. That's a, that's a whole different episode. That's a whole different podcast in general. It means you have what now? Ascites. It means What's you have that? fluid in your belly that we got to okay. get rid of. That means your liver is failing and you're developing liver or fluid in your belly that we need to drain. That's bad. I mean, Homer could have that. He yeah. drinks a lot. I bet he has mm-hmm. some of yeah. that. But that one, that one's bad. Um, but after all those tests, they decide that he needs a coronary bypass surgery, and it was quoted at $30,000, causing him to have a heart attack, thus <laughs> increasing his price to $40,000, which is a really good, I'd say... That's a bargain. It is nowadays. I, I think it's a really good skewer of our medical system because there aren't set prices, right? It's no. like, eh, this is what it costs today because your insurance will pay us this much as part of your reimbursement, as part of the reimbursement to the people doing the procedure. Yeah. But also like, oh, you've had four heart attacks. Well, now it costs $40,000 to do the procedure. Yeah. If it's a triple, ar- uh, a triple artery Coronary bypass, artery bypass, thank you. <laughs> if, if if it's a triple bypass surgery, it shouldn't matter if he's how many heart attacks he's had. But it's just like, oh, well, now we're just de- we're determining it's more risky, so now it costs more money. Yeah, and the big thing about hospital costs that people don't realize is it's that bill you get is not necessarily the doctor's fees; it's the it, hospital no, no, no. fee. It is one hundred percent not the doctor's yeah. fees. The doctor's fee is like maybe a tenth, if if anything. Mm-hmm. The rest of it is all like hospital stay, recovery, tests, IV starts, all this stuff going into it. And that's really right. what you, you, you don't get paid based on the amount of care you provide. Right. What are you talking about? You, when I diagnose COVID, I get paid more. <laughs> to, you know that someone's going to take that out of context. I know they are <laughs> going to take that out of context. It is completely and 100% false. Yes. Uh, seriously, though, you're, you don't make money based on 
number of patients or number of procedures or anything like that. So that, you that's are paid a little, for... that is a little bit different. I mean, we get, we get paid to do work, but we are not, we're not paid to make certain diagnoses or um, paid extra based on your risk in yeah. general. We, we're paid for the work that we do. So if you do more procedures, you could potentially do more work. If patients are more complicated, you potentially get paid more. Although it's it's not like a one to, it's just like. It's not one to one. It's like mild risk, moderate risk, severe risk patients. It's like on and, a scale And if you're five. in a hospital, most of those patients are severe risk. And I mean, that's why they're in a hospital. Yeah. Usually your scale is like one to five. And that's really how you bill is where do you fall in the spectrum of one to five? Yep. Like you can have four different chief complaints to come in and you're still just moderate risk. You're not going to mm -hmm. go up because I diagnosed you with five different things, especially if the five different things are very mild things like a rash. Look, it's not a healthcare risk. podcast. Oh shit. It, it is. is. <laughs> <laughs> not medical advice podcast. I should say I wrote so much like random little notes down. So Homer mentions the hippopotamus oath, which made me laugh <laughs> out loud. And you know, there, there's certain professions that, do have an oath and standards of conduct and be, and medical doctor is one of them. So we, a, as we're going into medical school, we all take the Hippocratic oath, um, which is a, it, it's from a long time ago. And my dad would be real disappointed that I, don't, that I, I didn't look up more about I it, don't to, know it to pontificate. Did about they make it. you stand up and like, yeah, we stood up and we did it in our white coats. Yeah. Uh, so the, so actually there's actually a, a really important thing in there, which is the first thing is do no harm. It's at first do no harm. That's a really important thing. I mean, that's probably actually why I do hospice stuff is is we do a lot of stuff in medicine where are we providing any benefit to the patient or are we just kind of doing stuff because we can do it? And for for me, I I enjoy stopping some of those things that really aren't um, really aren't a benefit. But I, I just thought that was interesting that he brought up the, you know, it, it's a hard thing to make a Hippocratic oath joke. And that was a pretty good one. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it was a very kind of solemn, weird, it was, I didn't think I would have to do a literal oath in mm -hmm. medical school, but you actually do a literal it, oath. It also makes you think a little bit differently about it. It's like, uh, it sort of frames your way of thinking what the job is that you're doing. I think um, lawyers take an oath also. And so th there are, you know, there should be a code of conduct there that matters and is meaningful and should have consequences when you break it. And then so Homer realizes that this is going to cost a lot of money, right? Like 40,000 is a lot in 93 times. 40,000 yeah, is a in lot 93 right times now. in America in not America times. Uh in now times. It's yeah. a, a lot of money. So he goes mm -hmm. to get hope uh health insurance at Weeping Widow Insurance, I believe that's what it was called. Right. Um and he definitely fudges on his application quite a bit. And I think that's one of those really upsetting things about insurance in general. Is that if you had a pre-existing right? Like if if I if I'm not sick, then why do I need insurance? But once you're sick, you can't get insurance for the thing that you're sick for, which doesn't make sense. I, I've talked about this, I think, on the show before. But when I was living in Ohio in the pre-Affordable Care Act days, I could not get employee insurance because of my glass eye, uh, despite the fact that my glass eye costs, on average, to my insurer. Between three hundred fifty and five hundred dollars a year. That's too much. I need to get it re re replaced. You know, once every seven to ten years, and they would cost me about thirty five hundred bucks out of pocket. Do you have a bunch of different like glass eyes, like in that one movie? I didn't see that question coming. <laughs> uh, I'm sorry, I Johnny's don't. my friend, and I <laughs> like him. I'm not. I just want to know if he has like one of those target things. 
I've got like, you know, I, I don't have any fun designs. However, the guy who does mine, uh, and I think Jackson knows this. I, I apologize if I shared it on the podcast before. Uh, the guy who does mine here in San Diego also does it for a lot of uh, wounded veterans like Marines. And he will regularly give them their normal one and also one with the Mar- Marine Corps logo so oh, they wow. can wear it to the Marine Ball. That's pretty cool. Yeah. That would look real good in the Marine Ball pictures. Something's different about your eye. (laughs) You have something in your eye. It looks like the Marine logo. That's right. I'm committed. I'm in this. (laughs) And and meanwhile, my wife had sprained her ankle a year prior. And so same employer was denied because of a pre-existing condition of having sprained an ankle and gone to get an x-ray a year ago. That's that's just shenanigans in general. Mm -hmm. Like... You you're too much of a risk. Yeah. You're you're yeah. out there doing stuff. You're too injury prone for this. And I think that that I mean we're not here to pontificate about all that stuff, but that's that's garbage. Right. And I mean they also bring it I mean Simpsons is good at poking fun at that stuff and he and I think Homer says we got America's this. healthcare is second only to and then lists lists seven countries. Thank God we're not in Paraguay. Thank God we're not in Paraguay. Uh America is the first in one part of healthcare. We spend the most amount by far, by way more than any other country, probably more than any two countries combined. But that's me just being lazy and not laying up numbers. But we spend more money than anyone else on healthcare, and we don't have the best outcomes. And that often mm-hmm. surprises people. Um, we, especially for things like women's health and for birth, uh, like newborn health and birth rates and preventative care, we're like way down the list we're like in the 30s so that's horrible and i think it's important to realize that spending money doesn't doesn't necessarily make you the best at something spending money smartly is is how you make healthcare better yeah and i'd agree with that i mean that's why i do a lot of emergency medicine that's the first time jackson's ever agreed with me <laughs> but i mean that's why i do emergency medicine is i don't care about your insurance or whatnot i'm just trying to make sure you're fine and i think that's really what that's why we do the job, right? It's to make sure everyone is okay. That's part of the oath. That <laughs> is part of the oath. See, I I, I remember parts in, of the oath. It's in there somewhere. You're it's just in like, there. I'll be you know, an ER doctor. I'll be an ER doctor as part of the oath. I, di- I didn't <laughs> know that that was going to pop up, but here it is. Yeah, make sure everybody's fine. Yeah, th- I think that's that's directly translated from the Greek. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> Hippocratic means ah, make sure everyone's fine. Is that what it is? Yeah. And also be a hippopotamus. I also mm-hmm. really like Dr. Hibbert's ability to, like, you have to speak to the patient in front of you, <laughs> right? And and so he goes, you know, he basically says, we're going to have to, <laughs> we're going to have to do surgery on your heart. And Homer's like, give it to me straight. But then he he breaks it down a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And then Homer's like, come on. You got to mess with your tinker. I got to tinker gonna, with your tinker box. We're going to cut you open and tinker with your ticker. <laughs> <laughs> Which you have to be, you you have to have the ability to, um, to talk to the room and edit what you're saying so people can understand. Otherwise... If you are a doctor in front of them with a white coat, they will they will nod and smile at you and have no idea what you were talking about. What was your opinion of how Homer explained it to the kids? Uh, I thought that was amazing. It gave me better insight into how a cabbage is done. Was it like we're gonna take the the the, the two aorta fairies are gonna come down and take a vessel or a, an artery from your leg like, up to left ventricle land? <laughs> <laughs> That's that was a great explanation that explained what a cabbage is real well. Yeah. Do you actually refer to them as cabbages? Yes. Yes. 
It's C A. So coronary artery bypass graft is C A B G. So it's in in notes. It just cabbage. Yeah. Huh. So that's how we all refer to it. It's it's a lot faster than saying all that stuff. There's a lot of weird acronyms that are approved, and then. My biggest pet peeve is when other doctors use acronyms that I have no idea what it means. And I, it takes me a long time to figure that out. Yeah, because it's just like some something that's common for, for some specialty doesn't mean you've ever heard of it. Um, mm-hmm. That's a, I, I made it a point to page people whenever I couldn't read their note because it was a bunch of weird acronyms. But that also doesn't go over well because you're bothering people. <laughs> Use things that people understand. Yeah. It's like when I used to... Cons- uh, call consultants when their notes were so sloppily written that I couldn't understand what was written. It's like if you if this time saving technique didn't save you any time, was it worth it? Also, if you write on the margins of a paper because you ran out of room at the bottom and you didn't want to turn the page, well, I'm you, calling you. Then you then you have to write the patient's name over again on the other side yeah. of the paper. I'm so glad we don't do paper charts anymore. Some doctors' writing is egregious, so that was nonsense. But Going back to this episode, which, again, tangents galore, um, Homer gets another heart attack and gets shocked again yep. mm-hmm. and then gets real desperate to find someone that will do the surgery for him or actually trying to find money first. Right. And he went to numerous places, could not get money. Uh, watch the episode to find out where. <laughs> um, but he also watch Midsummer. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you've gotten this far in the podcast and haven't watched, watched Midsummer, you, you should, should really watch Midsummer. You should Midsummer. at least go back and yeah, watch that. You should really watch Midsummer. But he, he sees a commercial for Dr. Nick. And that is when I started laughing a lot because Dr. Nick is terrible at what he does. Mm-hmm. Um, no, he's great at what he does. He's just a terrible doctor. <laughs> but if you want to know where our namesake telephone came from, 1530Doctorb. It's from the one, B stands for bargain. Yes, it comes from one six hundred doctor, which sounded so weird to hear. It did right because I was expecting like one five five three zero, yeah, or one five 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 doctor or something, you know, fakeish but realish at the same time. No, that he wanted people to call him and figure out what was going on, and he estimated his procedure, any procedure, for one twenty nine ninety five. That, mm-hmm. that is a steal. Yeah, because even if you're <laughs> Even if you're getting that money, you have to pay for the surgical suite. Yeah. So I feel like he's not, he doesn't have a significant profit margin there. No, he does not. And I mean, obviously he's not a great doctor because the first thing he says when he meets Homer after saying hi, everybody, is the coroner, not again. <laughs> I, I hate, hate that, that guy. guy. I'm so sick of that guy. So you know he's in good shape at that point. I will say one thing weird about Homer being in the hospital was Flanders was his next door neighbor mm-hmm. again. And he was just there <laughs> randomly donating a lung and a kidney. I he, mean, Flanders is a real good person. Yeah. He's going to debilitate himself. And it's really hard to just go, I'm going to donate this. and First come, first serve. You could, you could not do first come, first serve. No. Uh, if, you were, if you are a, a dead donor, it's first come, first serve. For sure. But that's because they have a list of people waiting. But yeah. if you are mm-hmm. a live person, they're going to make sure they match up as best as they can to ensure the greatest chance of success. Yeah, they want to keep that organ in the area that's going to supply it with all the nutrients and best chance of living. Then instead of just and that, taking and, it out. And that place is in Flanders. Correct. That holy, right. That's the best that holy lung and kidney has to stay inside Flanders to make sure that it is still viable when it goes to whoever needs it. It does sure. actually. This episode I, I wrote down after Doctor Nick's commercial came came on. So he's um, Doctor Nick has a very thick accent, but also 
you know, in America, we are, we are a group of people from lots of places. And uh, there is, because health insurance is so expensive in America, there is an entire bracket of tourism made up of people that travel to countries to get procedures done. Um, we are in San Diego, so there's actually a lot of travel over the border to Mexico to yeah. have oh my God. especially cosmetic things done, but oh, yeah. even mm-hmm. even non-cosmetic things, just because their healthcare is subsidized, whereas ours is not. And you know, we're, we're sort of the only country where you can go bankrupt because you, you got sick. And yeah, and it's it's funny because they're poking fun at it, and it also makes me, <laughs> it makes me sad. Yeah, it's scary. Like everyone's afraid to get sick, and not just because they're getting sick. Right. It's also because what's it going to mean for everything else? Yeah, and that's a scary right. Part. But Doctor Nick is here to save you, right? <laughs> With his procedures that cost one twenty nine ninety five. I will say this: that was very endearing for Doctor Nick was him looking up how to do procedures on videotape. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that is definitely a thing that Cause what, I. What's a videotape? It's this. <laughs> so what it is, it's a magnetic strip that records data that can be read through a video cassette recorder, a video cassette player. No VCR. Oh, oh, yeah. Never thought of it that way. There you That's go. like an an automatic <laughs> teller machine machine. <laughs> but I mean, that is a very endearing thing because as an ER physician looking up how to do certain procedures. When I first started out, YouTube taught me. It happened. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We did. I mean, Wikipedia and YouTube often are the the places to start instead of looking through a huge book that is not readily available to you. No. Um, or if it is, I don't want to open that book. I mean, also, right like right here in this room, we have this computer. We can look something up or you got to figure out how. Or, or I go to those medical books behind us and look through those, but I don't feel like it right now. Well, I just, I mean, in the heat of the moment, if something's going on, you you may be the person that has to do some stuff. Yeah. So you may have to learn a crash course. But it does happen quite a bit where we look up how to do procedures before we go in. Um, we try not to show it to the families, obviously. Yeah, and, and that's that doesn't necessarily mean someone doesn't know how to do something. It means, okay, I need to, it's been a while. I need to refresh, you know, some of the steps here. And what are some of those helpful hints that I haven't thought about in a while? And it's nice to have those resources available. And it's, I mean, it's nice that it's so convenient to have those resources available because that means you you can do something and not have to suddenly stop your entire day to, to figure out something. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously Lisa would have been watching a YouTube as opposed to reading the Springfield Journal of Cardiology. Yeah, I I didn't catch that what it was. That's That's actually what it said was the Springfield Journal of Cardiology. And just because you're a cardiologist doesn't mean you're a surgeon, just like how a neurologist is not a neurosurgeon. Those two things do not cross. And I think that's like the misconception in the public is that if you do cardiology, that means you can do surgery. If you do neurology, you can do neurosurgery, which is, they don't translate. You, they do on house. <laughs> I mean, house does, house does housey things. It's just like on The Good Doctor where surgeons do rounds. Everyone does everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Turk in Scrubs does rounds on medical patients. Never does that. Well, he can't no. do it all on his own. No. I know where you're going with it. <laughs> yeah. He, he's no Superman. He is no Superman. <laughs> Count it. But yeah, I find it insulting if a, Ten, how old is Lisa? Like eight? I think she's, she's eight. Is giving advice on how to do surgery in a crowded operating suite. You know what I like about Dr. Nick? He was willing to know that he didn't know something <laughs> and take the advice that made sense. What? Yeah. Cut below the blockage? What is below? Uh, not caudal. <laughs> Touche. Cranial versus caudal? 
Wait, then caudal. Yeah, yes. then you want caudal. Yes, caudal. Cranial means head, caudal means tail, above, below. Speaking of the operating theater, uh-huh. are those still a thing? No, we've actually talked about this on the show before. <laughs> yeah. I think we talked about yeah, it we during talked, our Seinfeld. We talked about it in the Junior Mints episode. Oh, yeah. okay. Yeah. They, it would, unless there was like a dome over the surgeon, it would be, you would not be able to control for the germs and stuff in the in the operating mm-hmm. theater. But also you don't want witnesses if something goes wrong. <laughs> Just saying. I mean, I guess when you practice litigiously, yes, you don't want witnesses. But yeah. he it, even said that. It is a let's not get the law involved. <laughs> let's, let's, <laughs> but that is it is a important piece to remember that in medical training was is has been passed on through experience. It's not all just written down. And so you have to see some of those procedures. And so that's a way that potentially a large group of people could see a procedure. I, I think that's been out of fashion for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. You know, most hospitals are are old and hospitals have remnants of, of places like that. My med school, I think I talked about it before, but my med school, mm-hmm. we definitely found an old operating theater room just like that. It's real creepy. Like, oh, this was a classroom full of people looking down on, on somebody or a cadaver getting cut open. So, yeah. And also, it's not the best place to make out. No. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that was that was a good good little add-in right there. Teenagers making out in the theater. Mm-hmm. And Mrs. Krabappel back there with popcorn. I did not see Mrs. Krabappel. I've been calling her Mrs. Crandall. It was a junior piece of popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it, it's not a common thing anymore. But this was made in the early 90s. So I finished med school, what, 10 years after that. So it, it's been a while. Oh, more. Holy crap. More. 20, yeah. 20 years. Getting gross. We're getting old. Oh, we're old. I don't think I have anything else to mention, Greg. Do you have anything? I do have one more thing. So as as Dr. Nick is in the surgery and kind of freaking out, and, and stuff happens. You People certainly touch things that they shouldn't, and they they break um, sterility. And you, I mean, if that happens, you go and you re-scrub in and you re-put gloves on. You, you didn't you, wear a cap the whole time. And that, okay, so he, only a few people in there have, have stuff on their head. But also, he touches his face. If you're gonna, That's the worst place to touch. That is by far the dirtiest part on a human being. You definitely don't want to touch your I don't, face. He pulls down his mask Greg, to talk to Lisa. Greg, there's dirtier places. I mean, it's different kinds of dirt, but <laughs> the dirt that's going to get you in trouble is mostly on your face. Your I don't face know. Your mouth. I don't know. You get a little itchy down there, and you, you might. <laughs> but... <laughs> I was going to say but something but it was enough to stop. Yep, but is where you need to <laughs> stop. <laughs> oh, it's like Bob's Burgers all over again. All over again. All over again. But it's true. Like there are dirty places. But if you do pull down your mask. Oh, that's the other thing. Don't pull down yeah, your why, mask. Why are you pulling down your mask? It's weird to see in this in the world that we live in now. <laughs> yeah. It's like pulling mm-hmm. down your mask to yell at somebody. It's it's fine. But even then it would have been a no-go. I yeah. will say this. When I scrubbed in for a case as a medical student and I scratched my face, they're like, get out. Yeah, you get out. And I went you straight outside, out. <laughs> had to re-scrub, re-put on a gown, mask, everything all over again to go back in. And the scrub nurses, scrub nurses were not happy. I mean, also, it's not a big deal, but... Yeah, somebody noticed it. And so, yes, you should go out and re-scrub. No. You don't need to be berated for it. <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a big deal until it's a big deal. And getting caught what meant that you remember it now. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're right to tell them to leave. It's, I, I think one of the issues with medical education is the way that you basically, oh, you, 
you get yelled at as opposed to taught. Yeah. And that's, I mean, mm-hmm. you can, you can teach Jackson the same thing without also making him feel like a piece of shit when he comes back into the operating. I like to think of it that they taught me loudly. <laughs> <laughs> loudly and sternly. But that's also why I'm not a surgeon and why I work in an emergency department now. But yeah, great episode, though. I enjoyed it yeah. thoroughly. With that, guys, I do have an important question to ask. The human centipede bills itself as 100% medically accurate. How dare you? If that's the case, how medically accurate is the episode of The Simpsons called Homer's Triple Bypass? Dr. Greg Winter. I mean, this, this to me felt pretty medically accurate. In fact, it felt more medically accurate than Crank 2, if you can believe that. <laughs> wow. Uh-uh. Wait, you're uh, telling me a guy who had a heart attack is more realistic than someone who had to get <laughs> jump-started. Also, to have sex on a horse track is it, to keep the heart going. Crank 2 isn't the one I said. I, I think Midsummer I thought, was pretty medically accurate, right? Yeah, Mid- Midsummer was I, the highest we've had so far. Was that 400 uh, and or something? He, uh, it, the average is 400. I think you, I think you might have said... You either said 300 or you said 500. Okay. I forget who said this which. This isn't a recalling things podcast. I'm going to make a chart and just hang it up so you know exactly where it, it's It at. would be nice. It would yeah. be nice to have an idea. I I mean, this is a cartoon and there's some there's some inaccuracies in it. I also think that there are common misaccuracies that happen in real life or at least that people assume happen in real life. I'm So Human Centipede says it's 100%? Yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. God. This yes. Is, then this is at least 300%. 300. <laughs> oh, I feel like I'm getting less and less critical. You are because we've been jaded with how long this has been going on for. <laughs> um, I'll say 200%. No, because no, no. I'm going to say 300%. It's way more medically accurate than than human sense. So I've it's had. three times as medically accurate as the human sense. I think it's more than that, but that's then I. As a, another point of reference, uh, Jackson gave the Pinworms episode of Bob's Burgers a 350. That was pretty accurate. That very well, that demonstrated very well okay, how I'll say, itchy your butt is. I'll say is. 250. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I'd agree with, I was going to say 200. So I think, I think that's a fair assessment. But it's more than double, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But I, I, I'm going to say 200 percent myself okay i mean uh, why, why do you say that it's less accurate than bob's burgers um the shocking of asystole kind of stuff okay um the fact that dr nick was able to do all that stuff and not have faced any repercussion ever or that he was able to do that stuff yeah because i mean that's a it's a complicated surgery and they don't they, they, don't, they don't let show any, the, the bypass machine and a whole bunch of other stuff so they also don't mm-hmm. let any joshmo show up and you know with with his toilet gloves, yeah. The to- <laughs> didn't like he in the infomercial wash his hands while he had gloves on. I'm pretty sure he did that, and that tells you the quality of Doctor <laughs> Doctor Nick Riviera is. So 200 only because of Doctor Nick Riviera, who I love, but he's a terrible doctor. He gets it done. He does. He really does. Are you going to ask us how right. to make this more I'm accurate? Gonna, yeah. And th- the next question <laughs> is how do we keep. How do we make the show more medically accurate while keeping the dramatic and comedic stakes high? You can't remove Dr. Nick. He's crappy because he's funny because he's bad and he's bad. And that's why he's funny. Like you can't remove him. He is, he is the lifeblood of this episode. I'm sorry. And even though blood makes him grossed out, 
as he mentioned while he was watching that video, I still think like it's hard. I don't know if Greg has better ideas than I, I do. I think you put up a sneeze guard around the operating theater at the very least. Wasn't there glass? No, I don't think so. I think there was Maybe. glass. Yeah. I think there was glass. Maybe. I mean, a sneeze guard is always preferred. <laughs> I think, I mean, a sneeze guard's funnier. That That's how you can com- keep the comedic tension. I can't go to a buffet. I mean, I can't go to a buffet, period. But right. I wouldn't go to one without a sneeze guard. It's very true. In the cutaway, you could put in a a more serious or a more anatomical heart drawing. I know I said it starts very anatomical, but it gets mm-hmm. more and more cartoonish. But you could just show the the tension that's placed on the heart by beating faster and faster. I think I mean that's a lazy answer. That is the I mean I mean that's the way to go. I mean the way Hibbert explains the heart attack to Homer and also how Homer explained it to his kids <laughs> is a great way to demonstrate the severity and the gravity of the situation. And I think that is an important thing. So they nailed it on that part. That's what I mean. I feel like this is good. It's it, it does a good job. And it's not inaccurate. No. It's the, the inaccuracy is the absurdity that a doctor could come in for $129. I mean, maybe maybe $15,000. He undercuts the hospital by half. That's yeah. more accurate. Yeah. But remember, it's his fees, not the overall <laughs> Not fees. the overall fees. Yeah. So he might charge $129.95. The hospital is going to charge him $40,000. grand. Yeah. Easily on top of that. Also, the anesthesiologist is going to little sneak in and charge oh, full man, cost that's for that. One those, that's one of those things that just shouldn't even be allowed. It's not a package deal. It's not a package deal. Yeah, but deal. you don't get to choose the anesthesiologist. That's you. That's so bogus. That's what you signed up for. No, it's, I know. it's actually Actually, not. you didn't. You just get whoever Dr. Anesthesia is for that day, <laughs> pretty much. But yeah, great episode. Really liked it. Uh if you haven't watched Midsummer yet, you should probably watch Midsummer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, any any other comments or con- questions? I you know I just saw you have the uh, the original Doctor Nick drawing on your wall here, which is makes me very jealous. Yeah, it's and a production art, I believe. Do you do you know what is written on that book? It is. It's I think it's Grey's Anatomy, and I think he was looking at a picture of a pregnant lady, and he said, "Oh my God, that ma- that lady swallowed a baby." <laughs> <laughs> but I was just going to point out that uh, Dr. Nick is wearing a stethoscope the correct way. Yes. Because this is pre-ER. It is. It is pre-ER. We can always take a picture of it and put that up on the, the Twitter and the Instagram so you can see what it looks like. What do they do in The Good Doctor? Post-ER, I imagine. Oh, God. Oh, mm-hmm. um, you know what? The episode we watched, it was hard to tell because they were all in gowns. I was gonna, they're all surgeons, so they don't have stethoscopes. That is, that is also <laughs> No, that. no, they do, use steth- they do use stethoscopes because he admits people. Yes, he listens to them, but we don't know where he puts it on his neck. It, I, also, it comes I, out of nowhere. It comes out of nowhere. Also, I didn't pay attention really well because I really hated that episode. I still want to do the episode of Evil with you guys that I recommended. Yeah. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating. It's on the list. I, it, it is on the list. I feel like I want to watch a couple episodes of Evil first because you've recommended the show overall. Yeah, I, I actually do like the show. And 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 frustratingly, that episode's bad enough where it made me it made me frustrated. But it's just kind of, I mean, they're all the episodes are case of the week kind of one off things. So mm-hmm. that'll be good. It'll be well contained so that our listeners can watch that episode, too. But. I think I think we are done for this week. Thanks for yeah. listening. Thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, happy Thanksgiving if you listen to this before Thanksgiving. Happy um, whatever holiday is coming up if you listen to it later. 
Yes. Also, um, if you're not in America, happy whatever day of the week you are listening yeah, to. Yeah, happy this Thursday. Too. Is it Boxing Day? No, Boxing Day no, is that's the Saint, 26th. That's St. Stephen's Day. That's the day after Christmas. Oh. Yes. It's when you box your neighbors. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thanks, guys. Good to see you. Thanks for having me. Okay. Bye. All right. Bye-bye.